Hey, hey, everybody. If you're listening to this, you are listening to the first free hour of this episode of The Shift with Doug McKenty. If you like what you're hearing, please consider subscribing to the show in order to access the full feature-length versions of the podcast, as well as have access to the Members Forum, where we discuss potential topics and interviews and dive deep into the overall concept of The Shift. For only six bucks a month, not only do you get the full-length episodes, but also an opportunity to co-create with me, your host, Doug McKenty, the future of the show. Go to www.theshiftnow.com or patreon.com backslash the shift and sign up today in order to help make the shift possible. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Good morning, noon, or night, whenever and wherever you are listening, you are listening to The Shift. I am your host. My name is Doug McKenty. This interview was recorded on January 15th, 2021. Episode 65 will be released next week, but due to the timely nature of this conversation, I'm posting this one first. As we all know, the events at the Capitol building on January 6th has political discourse in the United States of America at a fever pitch. Racial and political tensions may well be at an all-time high, and many are speculating that we are engaged in a cold civil war, with concerns that things could get violent at any moment. Disparities of thought, miscommunication, and misinformation are rampant on all sides. My guest today represents a small but growing political movement that strives to unite America against such division. Teodros Ficre Merimum is the editor and principal writer for the Gijón Journal. For over three years, he has been providing news, information, and editorializing from outside the left-right paradigm. His latest endeavor, hashtag WildcatStrikeUSA2021, calls on the American people to participate in a workers' strike on Inauguration Day, January 20th, and implores truck drivers across the country to park their rigs on highway choke points around the country for 24 hours in solidarity with all those alienated by the current political and economic system. Make no mistake, this movement will not end with this action, but this is just the beginning of a movement to unify the country against the rampant corporate and political corruption that has created a system that benefits the 0.01% at the expense of the vast majority of the population. Enjoy this conversation between myself and Teodros as we explore the root causes of the racial and political strife that has become so pervasive within the national political dialogue today. We will also discuss the censorship that seems to be directed at those independent journalists who provide a unifying message and narratives beyond the left-right paradigm, as well as solutions, including hashtag WildcatStrikeUSA2021. If you want to find out more about Teodros, his work, and this growing unification movement, go to www.gihonjournal.com. Please do what you can to spread the word about this important movement. Division only serves those at the top of the pyramid, unity is the only way out. As always, if you like what you're hearing, you can find all my work, including The Shift, the Roundtable Discussions, and the Psychology of Lockdown series at www.theshiftnow.com. Sign up for the newsletter for updates about new content and information concerning the overall direction of the podcast. You can also find me on Twitter at McKenty or on Facebook and YouTube at The Shift with Doug McKenty. I want to thank Teodros for participating in this interview and promoting hashtag WildcatStrikeUSA2021, and thank you all for helping to make the shift. And hello, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, welcome to this, the 66th episode of The Shift. I'm happy today to have a return guest, Teodros 
Fikerman, Fiker Miriam, right? <laughs> That's close. <laughs> I just I just asked him this. Uh, and uh, he is the editor and principal writer at the Gihon Journal. He has been uh, starting something that I um, really actually believe in. I've been waiting for uh, a movement to happen. I mean, clearly we're in the midst of econo- uh, a political chaos. Uh, we've got the coronavirus, the Black Lives Matter over the summer, uh, and then now the election fiasco culminating in, uh, in what happened at the Capitol on January 6th. And it just seems like there's so much division going on, uh, both uh, racially and politically. Uh, And, you know, the question is, how are we going to get out of this? And so it was just uh, two days ago, I guess, that uh, Teodros announced on Twitter that he wants to start uh, hashtag wildcat strike. We're talking about a worker's strike here. And you want at least the first one or the beginning of this to happen on January 20th, correct? Right. On right. Inauguration Day, uh, which includes just everybody taking a day off work to say, hey, you know, this division is killing us uh, and we're going to make a stand, uh, as well as asking truckers around the country to park their trucks in very inconvenient locations for 24 hours and just say, you know, we have, we, we, the people have the power to stop this. Uh, and, um, you know, we're going to, we're about ready to start doing something about it. So it's hashtag wildcat strike USA 2021. Uh, everybody spread the word and, uh, Teodros, why don't you just describe, uh, who you are in your own words and a little bit about uh, wildcat strike and, and why you thought this was a necessary uh, political action. Sure. First, first and foremost, thank you, Doug, for having me on. Mm-hmm. This is our first, uh, the second time on the, um, on the show. And last time, uh, I, I greatly enjoyed uh, the conversation with you. It was a very uh, smooth, smooth uh, flowing conversation. So I appreciate that. Great. Um, and I appreciate the fact that you, uh, you, you immediately saw the potential behind what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've been driving this effort as much as anybody else. Uh, so Wildcat Strike uh, uh, USA 2021 is, is exactly what it sounds like. So uh, Wildcat Strike basically means uh, something that's kind of almost spontaneous, right? Uh, it's folks kind of taking initiative on their own to uh, to, to kind of call in from work, work, not not show up. And by doing this, then you can kind of paralyze industries. If enough people do this, then you can paralyze a whole nation's commerce. And so I'm not doing this for the sake of of hurting everyday Americans, uh, it's, it's actually to, to stand up for everyday Americans. Uh, this country has gone to the point now where the average worker uh, has effectively zero rights, and we've all become enslaved to cor- uh, corporations. And a government that's supposed to, uh, you know, govern by consent, supposed to be of the people, by the people, for the people, has become anything but. Uh, it's become a... Uh, 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 Basically, a, a vessel of multi uh, multi corporation, multinational corporations. So, <clears throat> I live really like 10, 10 minutes outside of DC. I've been going in and out of DC the past uh, a week or so, and it's what I'm watching. It's I never thought <laughs> America would be like this. Yeah. Uh, you know, I left Ethiopia in 1983. Uh, just kind of give you a little background. Yeah, um, I was born. The same year that uh, Haile Selassie, the king of Ethiopia, was deposed uh, by Marxists, and within short order, uh, uh, the, the, they end up uh, the Derg regime end up uh, annihilating or executing or committing a genocide 
against uh, more than 500,000 men, women, and children. So this is why I'm not really uh, a supporter of, of revolutions. They always end up giving birth to the same tyranny that that you know uh, that 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 led led to them to begin with. So that's what we have in America: uh, the, the Revolution of 1776. Uh, even you know, for the people that uh, actually know about the history behind the revolution, do not believe what they tell you. Uh, the revolution had nothing to do with people being taxed too much of anything. The founders of this country were so livid that King George repealed the Sugar Act. It wasn't really the Stamp Act. It wasn't the Tea Act. It was sugar because um, sugar, the Sugar Act was was uh, effectively, uh, uh, you know, gave the the, uh, the founders who were a bunch of bootleggers the ability to sell their uh, alcohol. On the black market, right uh, at 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 a discount, a massive discount. And so when he repealed the the Stamp Act, King George, well, that that kind of take take away their their profit margin. And so of course, they uh, they leverage the the anger of the people and say, "Hey, this is unfair," and it completely twist the whole thing around and make it seem like they're upset because they're being taxed without representation. So, as always, it's about money. Yeah. Uh, and it was uh, the aristocracy in America versus the king in in, in England. Um, but you know, you know can I can I make sure, a comment sure, on that because sure. um, over and over again, I mean, I talk and I'm trying to talk more and more actually on this program about colonization, uh, the colonization of the mind, what's going on in our psychologies. I think essentially we've all been colonized, one way or the other. Actually, despite right. despite the color of our skin, we all need to realize this. But certainly in terms of the the African experience here in the United States, I mean, sugar plantations were the foundation. Uh, of the slavery system initially, um, and to be able to w understand that the, you know, to me, uh, in in my interpretation, governments have always essentially been legitimized mafia organizations, uh, right. and these guys are gun runners and they're drug runners. I mean, just the Bush family, right? These mm -hmm. they sell weapons and they made right. bank off the Iraq War. They're gun runners, they're they're uh, drug dealers. And they're mafia types, and that's what mm -hmm. it is, and the people that are controlling us. So, you know, I, I love this interpretation to be able to go back as far as the founding fathers and say, look, these guys were, were making alcohol, and it was all <laughs> about the sugar deal. It totally yeah, makes yeah. sense to me. It totally makes sense. By the way, the Bushes, Prescott Bush in the 1930s was a, a banker who was uh, a Nazi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the Bushes were Nazis. And uh, breaking news, so was uh, the Kennedys. Uh, yeah. They were Nazis as well. So oh, wow. Um, and so, you know, the, the, that's the thing about history. It's fascinating. Um, whoever is the victor ends up, you know, writing or rewriting history, uh, often with the blood of the defeated. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, they, they make it seem to uh, like as if uh, uh, Hitler was this atrocious monster, that he was this uh, outlier that never happened before. But guess what? There was a lot of Americans that were supporting Hitler back in the 1930s and 20s, mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> including the the, uh, the 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 monarchy in England. There's a bunch of pictures of them throwing up the Paul Hitler salute in the, in the 1930s. So um, <clears throat> you know, this is the thing, though. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to get all preachy. <laughs> I'm using that for Sundays, but it's, <laughs> you know, it's called Revelations for a reason, right? There's so many. The lies uh, of history are so many that it's impossible to know decipher what is truth apart from fiction. 
Yeah. And you add on top of this, the intentional uh, manufacturing of these so-called conspiracy theories, right? So that people that supposedly speak up for truth are working for the very system that they're supposed to be speaking up for. So then they also, uh, in the name of truth, they end up injecting lies. And so now you can't even forget just the lies. It's, there, now there's truth in the name of lies. And so it becomes impossible to decipher what's true and what's fiction. Uh, but ultimately, at one point, there will be a revelation. <laughs> and uh, excuse me. And so I, I believe that we're at that point. Right. Uh, that, that you can't. The, the, the lies are going to just implode and fall, fall, fall into themselves. It's really been getting worse and worse. I mean, as someone that is constantly researching and doing interviews on on this information and the information that's coming out and trying to find people who are, of course, doing quality research. Um, I mean, even in the last, I would say in the last 12 months, certainly it's gotten harder and harder for me to get on the Internet and really and, and find the sources of almost anything that's that's going on right now. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. information is so rampant and the divisiveness and the confirmation bias is so prevalent mm. that it's like hard to cut through it, find the primary source material and at least make my own, you know, educated interpretation about what I think is going on. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's, that's the, so I think again, this is, it reminds me of like biblical times, right? The tower of Babel, for example, you build, you build, you build, you build. Uh, but, uh, the, the the you know the law of gravity eventually kicks in, right? Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as perpetual growth, and so there's no such thing as perpetual lies. At a certain point, the truth is going to uh, uh, you know break out, and so I think. And you know, look, I was in D.C. most of the day today, um, and I kept talking to a bunch of police officers, a bunch of National Guard reservists, and not once did I get any sense that they were a threat, or neither did they seem as a threat. Mm-hmm. And these are everyday Americans, and so in fact, I, I, I although t- Twitter banned me today <laughs> for six right. days, uh, I use my alter, huh? Six days, six days. Yeah. So you'll be back. You'll be back. So at least for a little while, All right? Let me see here. <laughs> right after, look, right after the twentieth, <laughs> already. <laughs> yeah, right, right. No kidding. Wow. But yeah, uh, but it's okay. I have another account. So I, I, I'm now using the Guillaume Journal account. Mm-hmm. Um, but um. What was I gonna say? I, I kind of lost the train of thought for a second. Uh, I got I got derailed by Twitter banning me. Yeah, um, it's traumatic. But, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for supposed uh, running and follow the community standards, which is so like, uh, how? What are they? You know, like I, I go on Twitter every day and I see some of the most heinous, you know, racists. <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, but let somebody say something that actually has substance to it, then that's what I think what the community standard is basically is if you say anything of substance, we'll ban you. Right. But if you say if you say stuff that's artificial and, and echo the, the establishment, then you're fine, you know? Well, uh, I think I think what you said about history is right on. I mean, it's controlled by the victors and these guys, Twitter and Facebook and Google are now claiming, you know, they control enough of the market that they have victory over the internet and they can control mm. what people say and they can literally, you know, rewrite the history of what's actually going on to fit their own narratives. And anyone that disagrees with that corporate narrative, uh, yeah. you know, sorry, you're out of here. You, mm. You're not part of history anymore. It's just right out of 1984. Yeah. But again, I wish people would learn from their history. 
um, you could kill the messenger, but you cannot kill the message. You just yeah. can't. Uh, in fact, in fact, the more you uh, go, get, the more you crucify the messengers, the more you amplify their message. Uh, Jesus Christ, uh, when he had twelve followers, you know, uh, twelve disciples, and maybe a, I don't know, a, a handful of thousand people were actually like following him while he was living. Once they crucified him in his death, his teachings were amplified, uh, uh, magnified by factors. Now, the, the other thing that these daggone people do is once they crucify the messenger, though, they, they also invert their teachings, you know? Mm. So it wasn't only Jesus Christ. Uh, Martin Luther King, <clears throat> his teaching was initially about race, right? Uh, but before they killed him, he actually kind of turned and became all about, uh, you know, it wasn't so much about race. It was about uh, bridging the divides. And he focused, he went from uh, race to class. He spoke out against the Vietnam War. And then he, uh, in fact, when they killed him, and I say they, it's not one person that killed him. Can you believe that? I have a vision more Lago to, to sell you. Um, it was it was Cointelpro, to be honest with you. And he uh, started uh, trying to organize black and white sanitation workers in Memphis, Tennessee. Bang. <laughs> that was his death sentence. Uh, Malcolm X, the same thing. He went to, he was fine as long as he was saying, White devil. He was embraced by the establishment. Mm -hmm. He goes to Mecca and uh, starts speaking out against, uh, you know, the, the the powers that be and puts aside the, the white devil rhetoric. Bang, they kill him. You know, and it, it goes on and on. RFK, JFK. In fact, I, I wrote an article once called uh, the, the, the 60s, the bloody 60s, the decade that uh, uh, aborted Something like that, the, the, the aborted leadership in America, something like that. Uh, but that, that, that's what politicians and opinion leaders learned in the 1960s. When they saw our own government killing messengers of peace with impunity, they said, oh, don't want to do that shit anymore. <laughs> you know? So, um, you know, we, we live in an age where we're devoid of leadership and we have a bunch of tokens who tend to be speaking truth to power when they really are working for power. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I find that the uh, the the drive to divide and conquer here. In fact, I was um, I've been thinking a lot in terms of this racial conflict that's going on uh, mm -hmm. about an article that I read again about the uh, the early days of slavery and the early days of the concept of racism in the United States, where um, what was actually happening in the 1600s, you had a lot of, you had slavery, you had black slaves from Africa coming over, mm -hmm. and then you had a lot of indentured servants, which were poor whites that uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, were forced to work for nothing, essentially slaves for, for um, a long period of time. Very rarely, I think, did they, I mean, I, you know, uh, being released from your indentured servitude before you actually perished uh, was a challenge. So you're certainly not becoming a member of the landed class, and they would often band together uh, to fight the tyranny that was oppressing both of them. And by 1700, the landed class were coming up with these ideas of racism to try to convince mm. the indentured servants that they were superior to the African-Americans, the African slaves that were there. Uh, and, uh, and, the, and, and it's been used to prevent unity, as far as I can tell, ever since. 
Um, And and this is what I think people really need to understand is that these racial divisions prevent uh, the lower classes from working together against these, uh, you know, very wealthy oppressors, many of whom, as you mentioned before, were literally supportive of the Nazi party in Germany. Uh, These people are still ever present in our political system at the very top. Uh, These Mm -hmm. families, uh, same families, few generations pass and they're still there. Um, and they're still, it seems to me, using this tool to divide and conquer. And that's my, right. my biggest concern. I, you know, I'm always so worried. And I, I wanted to have you on the show in part, I mean, just, just to talk about race, because as a white man, it's difficult for me to even have the conversation. I don't mm-hmm. have the experience, you know, I'll admit to the privilege that my skin color gives me. Um, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm empathetic for the situation that we're all in, but I really do feel like we need to be working together. Yeah. Um, so, by the way, let, let me absolve you of any white burden that you have. <laughs> <laughs> You're well, I forgive it. No, it's the biggest, like I, I get into I fights or arguments with people all the time. Uh-huh. By the virtue of your color. You have some type of privilege that other people don't, but so based solely on your on your on your skin, it's just bullshit. Um, because that that takes a, uh, that discounts the fact that there are tens of millions of white people in poverty. There are tens of millions of white people on food stamps. There are tens of millions of people stuck in generational and cyclical uh, indigence and homelessness. But in fact, when I was in, um, you know, I struggled for two years almost with homelessness. 2015 to 2017 and every shelter that i went to you know what i saw homeless white people yeah <laughs> so right so uh, where, where is this supposed card that white people have and i don't even the whole concept of, of white and black so stupid um our skin color is not who we are and and, and race by itself by the way is a construct created as a caste system right created exactly. by racists yeah right it was slave traders that said, okay, how can we make sure that there's always going to be a perpetual divide between Europeans and Africans? Oh, we'll call one uh, the, the ones from uh, Africa, uh, even that, uh, the continent used to be called Ethiopia, before it got renamed to honor Scipio Africanus, who was worse, worse than Hitler. But how can we make sure that the, the people that, from the, 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 the land of humanity's birth, uh, they're professionally stuck at the bottom. Oh, oh, we'll call them black. And how do we elevate the rest? Oh, we'll, we'll call them white. And then, you know, they end up fighting uh, on on something that's so superfluous. Uh, and meanwhile, you know, when it, when you look at the, the top 1%, they don't give it two shits about uh, color. Mm-hmm. Obama belongs in that club. <laughs> so does Michelle. So does uh, Kamala Harris. They came out the color of their paperback, which is green. That's us, idiots. <laughs> the bio nine percent. And I say that with intention. We we really are idiotic in this way. We're so focused on our differences that we end up actually feeding into the very same constructs that that keep us imprisoned. So I think it was Voltaire that said once said, uh, uh, "People uh, who are." Uh, adore their chains it's hard to free liberate people who who, would, uh, who adore their adore their chains and something that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because we, we we become so wedded to our shackles that we think this uh freedom is is to be 
something to be terrible. Freedom, we think freedom is imprisonment. And we think imprisonment is freedom. Um, so that's why Harriet, Harriet Tubman, when she used to free slaves back in the uh, 1800s, she would carry a shotgun, right? And it wasn't even to, to, to protect the, the, the uh, slaves that were uh, fleeing uh, persecution from uh, the, the slave owners or the, the, the people that were trying to hunt them down. It was to make sure that any slave that tried to turn back around and to run back into to, uh, sla uh, slavery, she would shoot them in the back. That was a threat. She had to cajole them with a shotgun to freedom. Right. You know that that's how powerful uh, imprisonment is. Uh, I don't know if you have, have you ever seen the movie um, Shawshank Redemption. I have. Yeah, remember that part where they said once he went institutionalized, and then that old man get, gets out and he ends up hanging himself. Yep. Yep. Freedom is a very tough, uh, tough, uh, tough pill to, to swallow once you've been in prison for a very long time. And so when you're born into imprisonment, you know, then I guess I shouldn't call it you idiots because they don't know any better. This is the, the life they're born into uh, and they die into is imprisonment. Um, so our job, the ones that that know better, mm -hmm. is just to be compassionate more than, more than anything else. So I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, this gets back to, again, this concept of colonization that I'm, you know, continuing to harp on because I, you know, I, I look at history and I go back and this transnational corporate system has, is the vehicle of colonization, uh, the sugar plantations, those were part of the first transnational corporations, the slave, the slave trade, first transnational corporations, um, you know, and this system has simply progressed until this modern day. And so many people look at the, the corporate system and now they're saying, well, you know, it's a privilege to be able to get a job in the corporate system, to make money mm -hmm. in the corporate system. Like there's this assumption that this is the only path to having a good life is to work in this hierarchical corporate system where you're forced to conform, you know, even the the workplace is essentially authoritarian in and of itself. People kind of use this excuse uh, that, well, it's a private company, but who wants to work in this environment, really? You know, um, you're not yeah, allowed yeah. to be your authentic self. Uh, you're not allowed to pursue your own hopes and dreams, uh, you know, and if you follow the rules and if you follow orders, uh, then maybe you get promoted up the ladder and the people at the top of the pyramid, I mean, these are the people that are the most, I mean, they're driving this whole this whole bus. And the mm. information, much like in the military, is need to know. People at the bottom of the corporations don't get to know the secrets of the guys at the top of the pyramid. And it just perpetuates this entire social system, uh, this patriarchal social system mm. that was that that is a, a essential part of... Uh, of the whole history of colonization. And I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. so I sit here and I say, well, we got to get rid of these corporations. We got to decentralize power and get power back mm. in the hands of the people. But instead people are so interested in fighting each other. I mean, as you described earlier, the, uh, these racial tensions, I mean, what happens when we come out and this is how I even see it all starting. Like this idea, maybe four or five years ago of white privilege comes out. And again, I'm, I understand that people with darker skin tones tend to get pulled over by the cops more. And I get that they they absolutely get harassed more often, get arrested more often, and are way disproportionately killed and imprisoned by the current system. I don't think that's by accident. Um, mm -hmm. But having said that, 
when you come out with this term white privilege, I want people to think about how it makes the millions, the tens of millions of disaffected white people feel. And so, you know, clearly they don't feel privileged. They're also oppressed by the very same system. But when they come out and they say, I don't like being called, being told that I have this privilege just based on skin color. Right. And then the other side calls them, well, you're just being racist. racist. Well, this is a conflict. This is just designed to happen. And, you know, the thing about human beings is that once they get triggered into that fight or flight mode, logic goes out the window and it just builds and builds and builds. And quite frankly, the, the last four or five years from, from that very misunderstanding at the beginning about that simple term has become, you know, in some people's minds, there's a full on fascist, you know, race riot going on that people think that the, it was the radical racist white nationalists at the Capitol that are doing all of this, which I don't mm-hmm. see any evidence for that. Um, and I, what I see in my personal life is my Republican friends and family who are actually very intimidated to even discuss their politics in public now and a cancel culture that's censoring people who have political views like ours where we're trying to stop the corporate power base and i'm actually seeing i mean the corporate power base actually heavily funded black lives matter to the tune of of 200 million dollars plus um so that's that makes me question like like, do they really care about the African community? Uh, I don't think a lot no, of they don't. made its they way don't. down into the into the community to be used to help uplift, you know, some of the poverty. This is the, hold on. You know how they do it in the news? Yeah, uh, yeah. This just in confirmation. Yes, uh, Bernie's don't care. Give two shits about black people. Right. <laughs> back, <laughs> back to you, Doug. <laughs> I mean, exactly, and they don't give two shits about white people either, right? Right, they Believe don't. It or not. They don't. <laughs> Now, what they look, let me tell you what 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 they care about is perpetuating uh, conflict. Oh, let me just put it. So, hold on. Hold on a second. Oh man, this this happens once in a while, and then I don't know how to get it back. Uh huh. Um, hold on. Let me see here. All right, I'm going to go back to the yeah. other video. You're looking good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. There you go. Yeah, cool. So um, now, what what they're trying to do is pour flames on the uh, on gasoline, right? And as as long as they could keep perpetuating the divides, then we can never ever ever get to a point of unity. Uh, actually, if we could pivot for a second, let, let me kind of talk about the reason why we're even having the Wildcat Strike twenty uh, USA twenty twenty one. Yeah, uh, this is an effort uh, to galvanize people. To put aside our differences, to put aside race, gender, ideology, religion, for one day, right? At least for one day. So this this wildcat strike that we're calling for, it does. It's not just for one day. It starts on the twentieth, but it could go on for as long as people have the the uh, the will and the wherewithal to uh, to maintain it. Mm-hmm. But at least for one day. Um, and what we're hoping for is that people could could just. Glean a uh, uh, glam on to the to the message behind it. So if you actually if you go to uh, Gion Journal G H I O N Journal uh, J O U R N A L dot com and then backslash Wildcat uh, 
dash strike, right? Wildcat dash strike. And actually, maybe I'll even change the, the name. You'll see it on the, um, on the screen below. Uh, so what, what, we, what we're calling for is for a, basically a, a general strike um, where you use your uh, sick day, uh, your vacation day, uh, whatever you have at your means at your disposal, just to take off on the 20th. And why the 20th? Because that's the date this prick Joe Biden is going to be sworn into office. Uh, and, and what they're really trying to do that day is, you know, you have 20, 20, between 20 to 25,000 National Guard, uh, maybe another 10,000 police officers. I was in D.C., by the way. It's amazing to me what, what D.C. has been turned into. Barricades everywhere. Uh, you know, it's, it looks like the, the green zone in Baghdad. Um, so what they're trying to do is use that day, uh, and they're hoping that, uh, that BLM and, um, Antifa on one side, uh, clash against the proud boys and Trump supporters on the other side. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, then they have a pretext and it's not just them clashing, right? Because within the 25,000 rank and file uh, uh, National Guard and, and also within the police uh, uh, officers. And that is, is in itself is very interesting, the dynamic, because you had the police officers who are mostly minorities, the, the DC police. And then you have the National Guard who are mostly from, uh, from Virginia, who are overwhelmingly white, right? So what happens if uh, BLM starts clashing with Proud Boys and now uh, uh, one side of the police officers start being, you know, rallying behind BLM and the National Guard start rallying behind a Proud Boys, right? And all of a sudden you could have a, gun, a gunfight between police and National Guard. Uh, and you also have a lot of people, uh, uh, police officers who are plainclothes. And you also have a lot of Antifa or Proud Boys who might be armed. So you, <laughs> you're, yeah. you're just begging for an all-out uh, uh, carnage that day. And when that happens, then Joe Biden has a perfect pretext to say, oh, I need to be a law and order guy. So forget 20,000 in D.C. We need to have, every city needs to be locked down. And, and on top of this, you have um, uh, this, this excuse for, uh, uh, you know, the COVID-19 vaccines to, to be administered to everybody. They're, they're, they're doing that on a quote-unquote voluntary basis right now. But trust me when I tell you, this voluntary is gonna become mandatory very soon. Um, and if not, if it's not uh, by you know, being compelled at a point of a gun, it's gonna be compelled at a point of a, a economic gun to your forehead. Mm -hmm. You know, take the vaccine, you can't go to work, you can't fly. Who knows, you might not even leave your house. Right. So, you know, this is what Biden has. And this is, by the way, after four years of Trump, all his idiocy, it was a lead up to this. Uh, this is something that's been in the works for, for a very long time. So right. the Wildcat Strike uh, USA 2021 is our way of saying, hell no, we want, we, it's, it's a way to kind of disturb that, uh, that, plan, uh, that plan. Because the one thing that rich people uh, understand is when it comes to power is those who push back against their, their, their commerce, their, their, uh, their, economic interests one person doing it can't do shit but if, if enough of us do it 
uh, if a grassroots uh, effort takes place, they ain't talking about a game changer. So that's what Wildcat Strike 2020, uh, USA 2021 is all about. So I'm hoping people will jump on that. Uh, again, it's if you go to thegeonjournal.com backslash wildcat uh, dash strike, then that's uh, you'll get a lot more information about it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think this is... Um you know, basically the only solution. And another idea I've had for a long time is a, is a tax revolution. I mean, mm-hmm. even if everybody just didn't pay their income tax until, you know, April 14th, or they waited a week just right. to show them, you know, <laughs> yeah. we, we all know what you're up to and we're sick of it. And here's how many of us there are. And, you know, they're not going to come after millions and millions of people who wait an right. extra week to file their taxes uh, and, and, uh, you know, so there's a lot of these nonviolent forms of communication with the upper class. And the other thing I like about what you just said is th- the upper class, the rich people, like we're all sitting here thinking there's a black versus white thing going on. There's a left versus right thing going on. If we really want to be free of the oppression, we need to think like the upper class are thinking. How are they thinking? Not how is the, your Republican friend or your Democrat friend or your, you know, somebody with a different skin tone of you, what are they thinking? And you're thinking you're fighting with them. If you're thinking that you're fighting with another person that you even know, because you don't know any of these rich people that are actually mm-hmm. in control. If you're fighting with someone that you know in your community about politics right. or this racial divide, then the rich people are winning, right? I mean... The yeah. rich guys are winning, and they know this. They have been socially engineering lower classes for thousands of years, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> While they've been on top of the pyramid. And this is something that people really, I think they got to understand this. I mean, you know, I had this epiphany last week trying to talk about the election integrity. And I'm saying I don't know who or what, you know, stole the election. But I want I do know that I want a real serious investigation at the very least into these voting machine companies. Who mm-hmm. owns them? You know, what what's going on with the with the people that own them and how could they manipulate it? And I'm arguing with friends, of course, and and the and the whole dialogue seems to be about did the Democrats steal the election? And suddenly it dawned on me like I'm not worried that the Democrats stole the election. I'm worried that the rich guys that own the voting machine stole the election. Right. And they'll steal it for a Republican if the Republican works for them, and they'll steal it for a Democrat if the Democrat works for them. And it doesn't like this whole concept that, oh, the Democrats must have stolen it. That you're looking at the wrong enemy there, guys. You know, it's the it's the rich people who steal it for who they want. Yeah. You know, and by the way, <clears throat> the, the, the idea that the, the elections were stolen a long time ago. When you have two parties that are colluding, that's not even a fact, they're colluding uh, to prevent uh, any other competition. Uh, yeah. You know, even the national, the presidential uh, uh, campaign commission, uh, they, they create this amorphous uh, uh, rule that, well, you had to have 5% uh, threshold in order to participate, participate in these uh Debates, right? But by by kicking them off uh, the 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 debate, then they prevent people from get, ever getting to five percent threshold, <laughs> right? So, you know, they this whole thing is rigged, rigged, and this stinks of uh, in ways that 
when Denmark can never imagine, right? And so uh, the, the, forget about Bernie. Did Bernie get cheated? Did uh, Trump cheat? No. Everyone, the whole thing is rigged. Right. Right? <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> so, I mean, let me let me add to that because I've seen evidence that Ron Paul. I mean, the primaries are actually easy to easy to steal because, and and when I interviewed Jared Beck, Jared Beck was the lawyer that sued the DNC over mm. over the Bernie Sanders primary, and the the DNC's argument in court against against Jared Beck's lawsuit was, we're a private company and we don't have to follow what what the primary voters say we can choose whoever we want to run for president mm, that right. was literally their argument they throw yeah. a primary but they don't have to do what you say you know and and the 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 evidence that that bernie sanders that that election was stolen in 2016 that primary pretty clear i mean uh, you know, there's a, there's a, a mountain of evidence and you can go back and look at my Jared Beck interview and you'll, and you'll learn more about that. And I would urge you to read his book. Um, right. but also the Republican primary with Ron Paul, um, I've seen the graphs and this is what I ask for when people talk about election integrity. I've interviewed, um, three or four different election integrity activists over the years because this voting machine thing has been a problem since they their inception since they started being widely used in 2000 and 2004 a lot of evidence that the the 2004 election was stolen for bush you know using the electronic voting machines um but uh when you talk to these guys you understand that you need to be looking at gra if people are checking elections for integrity there needs to be graphs of the votes getting counted as they come in over right. time, you can analyze and see because as the votes come in, it's kind of hard to explain, but, you know, vote comes in from precinct one and it's, you know, 60-40. And then you, the vote comes in for precinct two and it's 55-45. And then you average those together and you put them on a graph. And after about 25% of the vote count, get pretty clear, right? Who, what right, right. going to be, oh, it's going to be probably 52 you know, 48 at the end of it. And the averages keep kind of being very consistent until uh, it ends up being 52, 48. And this is 99% of the time, this is how they work out. And if you mm. do those graphs and you plot it and it doesn't work out that way, then you've got a, you know, you've got a big red flag and you need to do a real serious audit. And that's right. how, those are the graphs that I saw of the Ron Paul primary. Um, and what happens when they're switching votes is, the graph starts to white, you know, the lines start to, depending on who they're switching the votes for, they'll either widen or they'll get closer and closer until the, mm. you know, the other guy wins. And, uh, and that's how you can tell that, uh, that some kind of vote switching scheme has gone on. And this is a simple thing to do and why people aren't, right. you know, why people aren't insisting they do this in every precinct and then post those graphs publicly every time. And then we'll know, you know, <laughs> Because they, they they don't want us to see how the sausage is made. That's right. <laughs> they, they don't want you know, us to and see. And this is why, you know, AOC and Bernie, they're all full of shit. Uh, because, you know, they, they especially Bernie, by the way. Bernie gets mm. cheated twice. And instead of focusing on the fact that he got cheated twice, he goes up here and makes a mockery out of justice by accusing Russians. Russians. Right. I mean, <laughs> like Hillary... Bitch slapped him twice, basically, <laughs> and he right. goes back like, like the dog that he is to ask for more, uh, like the sheep dog that he is. And so there's no heroes when it comes to politics. Yeah, uh, Obama, uh, yeah, 
the last the last cake of the meal that I needed for my education was Obama, <laughs> right? And so yeah, I mean, you uh, were after, working for that campaign, right? You believed in that movement, man. I went to twenty states on his behalf. Um, well, I had actually sixteen states, mm-hmm. um, and there was a kind of interesting uh, side note over here. So in two thousand and eight, uh, after he narrowly lost uh, New Hampshire. Uh, I had started a group maybe like a, a month earlier called Omegas for Obama under my fraternity back then. And so I had a fraternity brother that lived like, in the same neighborhood as the Obamas in, in Hyde Park in Illinois, in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I sat down on my laptop and banged out two paragraphs of a speech idea, right? And so I poured that over to, uh, to my fraternity brother. I'll keep his name between us. Um, he gets it. He's like, "Oh, damn, this is good. I'm gonna forward this to the campaign." So he forwards it to Valerie Jarrett. And I know that sounds familiar, right? Uh, and uh, I believe it was Pam Pam uh, Obama's half sister. They see it and they're like, "Oh, wow, this is excellent!" And they forward it to the campaign. And so the speech team gets it. Next thing I know, the next day, <laughs> I'm listening to his South Carolina uh, South Carolina victory speech. And he closes with this sentence. Uh, from the cornfields of Iowa to the granites of uh, New Hampshire, or something to that effect, uh, to the seashores of South Carolina, to the desert lights of Nevada. Right? That was my, my, what I wrote. Right. So they, <laughs> they, they took one line, that was a pretty awesome line, and used that as the cl- a closing line. I never got credit for that. I didn't even want credit for that, to be honest. Because I was working back then at Booz Allen Hamilton, which is a pretty conservative company. So I didn't want, want it to be known that I was supporting this liberal guy huh. with a funny name. But all that said, um, I don't know, six, seven years passes, and I see his fraudulence. But even then, I wasn't really speaking out against him. So I, I decided to do something very foolish, claim credit <laughs> for that speech idea. Hmm. My life got turned upside down. Remember how I said I was homeless for like two years? Yeah. 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 Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's all good. Um, I survived. <laughs> it is challenging so to speak out um, mm-hmm. in, in these times. And the cancel culture is a real thing. And people are risking their, uh, their. I mean, I'm not rich. You know, I don't think you're rich either. <laughs> well, I'll put this way. When we talk uh, about this, we're not getting a huge audience really oh, no. right away. And we're fighting uh, corporate giants that that uh, are have unlimited funding. So, But guess what, though? Two years ago, I mean, actually, four years ago, I was working at this har- uh, uh, farm in, in, uh, in Colorado called uh, Harvest Farm. Uh, it's in uh, Wellington, Colorado. Mm-hmm. And uh, I stayed on the farm for free for a year and a half. You know how much I'm, uh, I was making uh, uh, every week? Uh, after the first three months of intake, while I was making zero, finally I, I graduated to earning ducats. You know how much I was making a week? How much? $7 a week. Nice. <laughs> Wow. So, yeah. So perspective. So now compared to that, I'm rich as hell. Yeah. <laughs> I right. feel like I feel like Dave Chappelle. I'm rich, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Being poor. Losing everything kind of gives you gives you perspective. So for seven dollars a week, anything more than that. So let's just say hypothetically now I'm making twenty a week. <laughs> I'm rich. You know? Right. I can I'll make a lot more than that. But you know, 
uh, I don't see money as the determinant factor in life. I, I never really did to begin with, but uh, now I kind of just see it as, you know what it is? It's like, once you survive homelessness, once you survive encounters with death, mm-hmm. it's like you're you're given house money. And then it's just playing with house money. So like a lot of people don't understand. I'm like, why are, they, why are you just going up to random cops or military people in D.C. in the middle of, of this uh, lunacy? Are you crazy? I'm like, no, I'm just playing with house money. <laughs> and yeah, being, right. But it's not just that, too. I also realize the power of, of connectivity. You know, uh, if you if you approach people with a, a, a bit of, of humility and, and humanism, they, they're not going to be threatened by you. Let's mm-hmm. go out. And there was one story, a particular story that to this day kind of, when I tell it, people are like, they think I'm making it up. And I'm like, I'm not, though. <laughs> if you think I'm making that up, I have a lot of the stories I can tell you. <laughs> but um, when I was staying in a, a Greenville, a Greenville shel- a shelter, a homeless shelter, there was one day this this uh, homeless guy walks in, uh, you know, clean shaven, uh, white dude, quote unquote white dude. They don't hate these labels. Um, and um, he just he keeps looking at me weird. He looks keeps looking at me funny, you know. And and I could tell that he was a racist. I could just tell. Mm-hmm. So I was for the first couple of days, I just wanted to punch him, and I was already pissed off at the world as it was. But on the, sure. like, the fourth day, and I was like, man, you know what? I'm done fighting the world. I really don't want to fight this homeless dude. So I was smoking a cigarette outside when I was smoking back then. He comes by looking for a cigarette. And there's this thing that homeless people do. Uh, they, they say looking for shorts, right? <laughs> uh, basically, the short is the, the short end of, of, of a, cig- a cigarette that's on the floor. And they smoke the short. Um, so I was like, you know what? Hey, I said, you want a cigarette? I'll give him a cigarette, right? Yeah. Like you have to understand with, with homeless people, with, with people in jail, cigarettes are currency, right? <laughs> They're, that's how you exchange. It's like if there was a bartering system, cigarettes are worth like, uh, each cigarette is $100 at that point. Right. So me giving him a cigarette was like an act of compassion. Compassion he was not expecting at all. So he sits down and starts smoking with me. And then I start telling him all my life stories. You know, how I came to America, the, the struggle that I went through, the pains of losing my dad. All the stuff. I opened up and told him everything. At the end, he's like, well, I've never had this type of conversation with a, a black guy before. And then he apologized to me. He was like, I used to be in the KKK. Oh, wow. And I used to, up until this moment, I've never actually connected with a, a real live black guy. Well, I, everything I've known about y'all was because my sister tried to hook up with a black guy. And I've always hated y'all hmm. for distance. Mm-hmm. So me talking to him on that level, connecting with him on, on a human to human level, shattered the illusion that he had and so it, it, broke, it freed him of hatred and in, in that moment it kind of freed me from anger towards him as well so this is the power that, that resides in all of us you know uh but yeah these assholes and opinion leaders and uh, mainstream media and politicians what they do is they peddle uh, grievances and they peddle the smut of of anger and divisiveness and, and people follow that, thinking that they're, they're empowering them. You know, right. they're disempowering you. They're, they're, they're taking agency away from you, and they're, they're, they're reducing you to a level of a victim. Like, everyone becomes victimized in life. But the minute that you see yourself as a victim, you perpetually in bond and bondage. And there's a reason why people on the left and people on the right 
Democrats or Republicans, black or they 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 go and they try to convince their followers that they're victims. When they do that, you basically you become indebted to the the, the preacher, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that's what they're doing uh, because people that are in power don't need to be led, right? Exactly. If I, teach, if I teach you how to to fish, you don't need me anymore. If I if I just give you fish every day and make you dependent on my on my generosity, on my false benevolence, then you're mine for life. And that's what welfare is, by the way. Uh, these these social safety nets supposedly are nothing but a form of of entrapment. Uh, if you look back towards the history of the civil rights movement. And uh, the Great Society, LBJ's Great Society, what a fraud that he was, had nothing to do with empowering the black community. It was about shattering the black family. Right. And a lot of preachers back then were telling him, Yo, please don't do this, Spe- specifically about the, the welfare program, where in order to qualify for welfare, uh, black families had to split. Uh, two income earners could not uh, live together. Crazy, right. So the, 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 the dad effectively had to leave the household in order for, uh, for them to get welfare that broke the back of the the black family and that you know that's what lbj a racist that he was there's no uh, he might have been the biggest racist Mm. to ever occupy the white house if you listen to some of his speeches back in the day recorded by the way it would astound you uh but he he uh he did what he did and by the way he has the blood of john f candy on his hands too but no yeah he's over there He's roasting in hell right now, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, our our whole society is built, as we talked about kind of earlier, this idea of the base and the base of the pyramid and then those on top. And, of course, the people on top aren't telling us their plans, right. <laughs> you know? Right, right, and, right. And, I mean, that to me is the whole function of a free society. I mean, one of the things that I, I think about, you know, especially just going back to what are the intelligence agencies doing and how much are they influencing all of this. I mean, is this a color mm-hmm. revolution in the United States is happening right now? I mean, that's yeah, what yeah. I think. They do it in other countries. We know that. What What's happening here in the United States right now looks exactly like, you know, the Ukraine four years ago, right? And, yeah. you know, other places around the world that, that the United States intelligence agencies have been pulling this kind of social manipulation in order to get the leadership that they want that's going to further their the desires of, the, of these transnational corporations and, and the billionaires mm. that run them. And so, you know, we live in a, in a, in a society where the government classifies, I mean, I don't know what the number is, uh, you know, millions of pages of, of classified information every year. Mm-hmm. And, and so we don't even really know what's going on. Uh, we don't really know what's going on whatsoever uh, in terms of what our government is doing. And, you know, we can wrap this up here in the next five or 10 minutes. Uh, I think we've been going for quite a while now. Um, hey, but you know what? Every time I come on the show with you, it's like this. It's I know. Like, I know. We could good, talk forever. Good friends talking, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know, right on, man. I might as well go get some coffee or some <laughs> little bit something. It's Friday. It's almost five, it's five o'clock now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. Your week's over. You got to take it easy. So I don't, don't let me keep you. I know. Nah, I'll you talk, good, I'll you talk good, your you year good. off. <laughs> me too. Me too. I could keep you out here until next thing you know is midnight. <laughs> yeah. Nah. yeah, we got a lot to cover for sure. Yeah. 
Um, I guess I'm just trying to hammer home this this idea. I mean, just like you were saying, is that so much of what's happening is is secret, and I, you know, in a free society, a free society is is characterized by transparency, and people just got to know that. I mean, when we're voting for this government or this politician or that politician. Uh, we really have no idea what they're doing behind the scenes, and we have—we certainly have no idea what the government is actually doing behind the scenes. I don't even think that the Congress people have any idea what these mm. intelligence agencies are doing. I mean, theoretically, <laughs> there's an intelligence committee that has access to at least some of this classified stuff, but I'm not seeing a heck of a lot of evidence that shows that the CIA is super forthcoming, even with those guys. Nah, you know. Nah. So, I mean, what's going on with COINTELPRO right now? You know, what kind of project Mockingbird do they have going on continuously now? What happened to MK Ultra? Yeah, I mean, yeah. You yeah. Know? By the way, you know, you know how these things work. Um, so, when they were building the the YouTube plane back in the fifties, I believe it was, there were upwards of five thousand people, maybe even more, that were involved, and each was worried about taking care of their of their individual sections. Mm-hmm. It's called compartmentalization. Exactly. Finally yeah. say that word after years of not being able to say it. So when everything's compartmentalized, what you know is just your little sliver of information, right? So out of, let's say, 5,000 employees, only maybe five or six actually knew what the end result was. Right. Nobody knew that they were building a plane, you know? Yeah. So it's the same thing with our government. Uh, nobody knows what, what anyone's up to at any given day. Even Trump, trust me when I tell you, Trump is just a chump. He has no idea what's going on. He's just a pawn that they put in front of us to distract us. But the ones that really rule, like we don't even know their names. We don't know their faces. I don't, after watching Trump, I don't, I really don't think the executive branch is in charge. I just don't think they're in charge. I think the military industrial complex tells yes. the president on it, yeah. like you're talking about, on a need to know basis. Mr. President, you need to go make this speech today. You need to go right. do this here today. You need to go do that today. But the president, to call him the commander in chief of the executive branch, I think is just not. I mean, I've seen I, the military just got busted a few months ago. Trump ordered troops out of Syria. They lied right. to him. They lied right. and told him that they that they had done it and they hadn't. They kept the troops yeah. there. And what do you do when you're the president? And the military just says, "No, no, sir, don't feel like it." You know, right, right. <laughs> Nothing, nothing. nothing. Well, right. you, 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 put, you push back too uh, too much, and you know what happens? You get impeached. JFK. Yeah, yeah. No, you get JFK. Yeah. You're lucky. You yeah. got impeached. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, what, what do you prefer, the JFK treatment or the Nixon treatment? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no kidding. I mean, sometimes, and again, not to come out as a as a Trump supporter or whatever, but I remember when Trump first gets into office, and. Love him or hate him, Trump supporters really wanted Trump to drain the swamp and deal with the deep state. You know, you can think they're full of it or whatever, but that's what they wanted. Trump gets into office. He starts talking smack about the CIA and Chuck Schumer comes on the Sunday talk shows. I don't know if you remember this. And he said, man, he said Trump should know better than to talk smack about the CIA. Those guys know how to screw you six ways to Sunday, you know? I mean, yeah. the sitting senator is talking about the intelligence agencies like this. And now I'm wondering, like, have the last four years just been the six ways that they screwed Trump the whole yeah. time? You know, now he's a racist, fascist, next Hitler ever, worst president of the United States. You know, they just dragged him through the mud for four straight. But guess what, though? Impeached him twice. You know, they, you don't trust a, an alligator to, to, to drain the swamp. 
Yeah, well, I hear, and so, I hear that too. I hear that. Too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I guess we better. Yeah, we better cut it again. We could talk forever, but you want to just say some final comments? Maybe we can uh, wrap this whole thing around to the yeah. Wildcat Strike one more time. And yeah, uh, yeah definitely. Yeah. By the way, I definitely enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, so to to bring it back uh, to the Wildcat Strike USA twenty twenty one again, if you look, if you go to the gearonjournal.com, that's right uh, below me, and you'll mm-hmm. see the actual link. Mm-hmm. It's Wildcat Strike. Wow. So Gear on Journal. Hold on. Let me. Let me do this. Uh, give it a, uh, do, do you even have to say www anymore? I, th- I don't think you do. People you just know, assume. It's like I do it half the time and not half yeah. the time. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm constantly putting people's email or, or their websites up and saying it. And sometimes I, yeah, I know it's the second nature, but it it's, it's it's so obviously www. I'm not going to say that HTTPS. Do I not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It is, the website is secure, so there is an HTTPS. So all that being said, it's, if you go to www.ghion and then journal, like something that's right in, .com backslash wildcat, uh, wild as in wild, and then cat, one word, dash strike. Mm-hmm. That will take you to an article that I uh, published a couple of days ago. Um, and it's basically uh, asking people to put aside our differences uh, to work together uh, uh, in a truly bipartisan way uh, and by racial, <laughs> across like racial that. that divides. Yeah, there you go. You know, I like um, it. And to, to cross ideological divides and whether you're an atheist or a believer, I don't care, man, woman, gay, straight, I don't, it's not really about that. What mm-hmm. this is about is workers versus the, 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 the overlords of, of the society. And unless you happen to sit on a fortune of a billion dollars or more, you're a worker. I don't care if you're making a hundred million dollars. You're a worker too. All of us are kind of united in this fight. Um, so it's just asking people to take off at least one day on the 20th. And specifically about with truckers. Um, uh, all you have to do, this is a trucker language. Drop your load and park your rigs right on 95. And, and, and truckers know the weaknesses, uh, the choke uh, choke points and bottlenecks of 95, or the interstate highways, do it right there. You know, preferably right uh, when it gets to the 495 sections of the loop, do it right on the interest of that. Uh, and just park your rigs and walk away. Uh, or just stay in your rigs. Um, and if enough truckers do that, you shut down interstate commerce. That by itself will stand as shocking, 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 uh, you know, waves uh, right to DC. They'll they'll feel that. If we don't do that, if we don't somehow come come together to to form a collective action, mm-hmm. it will be collective tribulation. And I would wrap it up with this. By the way, I'm a journalist. A, I'm also uh, 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 a human rights advocate. B, and I'm doing this uh, under the guise or the freedoms of the Const- uh, of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. Uh, as a journalist and a person of faith who advocates that we should all uh, be equal before God and, and, and not necessarily advocating Christianity or any one particular religion, but a f- person of faith, these are the f- rights that are guaranteed to me into the Bill of Rights. Because the first, first Amendment, I'm not even going to go towards the Second Amendment because I don't really believe in guns. But there's enough people with guns out there that can also uh, vouch for me as well. Um, so... Let me just wrap this up with a quote from Thomas Jefferson. 
and why we're doing this. This is the, 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 the preamble to the Declaration of Independence. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal stations to which the laws of nature and the, uh, and the nature of God's entitled them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the cause which impelled them to, uh, to the separation. Declaration of Independence. This is what the founders fought under, and this is what we should declare yet again, because we are being governed without consent. Uh, we, we're being governed by those who have no interest in, in our well-being, and America has no sovereignty. So when we reach that tipping point, it is we're duty-bound as Americans, uh, as people of faith, as human beings, to rebel against authority. Um, and if we fail to do that, we're giving our hand uh, in the hands of our future generations, including our children, to the wolves. So you have a choice. Rebel against authority or, or keep taking jabs of COVID-19 and keep uh, being silent as uh, more and more of our freedoms are free, being frittered away. And eventually, you wake up in a concentration camp, you'll, you'll ask yourself, why didn't, why, why didn't I act? By then, it will be too late. So before it's too late, act. Thank you, everyone. And thank you for having me on on the show, Doug. Well, right on, Tiedros. And I can't recommend enough uh, going and checking out the Gihon Journal. Uh, Tiedros just does a great job of interpreting what's going on. And it's nice to hear an African-American perspective that is in such alignment with mine. Um, I don't know if race has really anything to do with it, but it, you know, since people make such a big deal out of it, um, I'm really uh, appreciative of, of the work that you're doing and the perspective that you're giving and that the two of us can work together uh, to try to cross these divides means a lot to me. So um, uh, again, just uh, really hope you check out his work. And I hope that you all consider this um, hashtag wildcat strike USA 2021. We can spread the word on this. And uh, we can maybe start to make some changes. And also, I just want to say, I really hope this is the beginning, you know, not something that's just going to end on the 20th, but something that keeps on going, that we're starting a ball rolling here, um, because clearly the divisiveness is out of control. Um, I want to get to the bottom of the people uh, that are truly, really and truly behind uh, a lot of uh, the divide and conquer technique tactics that I'm seeing that are working so well. And it's so sad to see. Um, and I hope that we can use um, movements like the Wildcat Strike um, to overcome some of these divisions, first of all, show unity, and then maybe get into government and start to figure out uh, exactly how much influence these intelligence communities really have over what's going on with the government, and especially what we're seeing on the, on the mainstream media and how much power uh, the people at the top of the corporate pyramid really have over us. So thanks again, Tiedros, for your work. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. I'll just let people know real quick that you've been listening to The Shift with Doug McKinty, and you can find out uh, all of my work on the website, uh, www.theshiftnow.com. I'm also presently on uh, YouTube and Facebook at The Shift with Doug McKinty and on Twitter at McKinty. But uh, I think as Teodoros found out when Twitter gave him a six-day suspension this morning, it's best to start getting people to go to the website if you're interested go to the website and sign up to the newsletter www.theshiftnow.com and i'll put the gihonjournal.com in the show notes Teodros, so uh, people can click on your website there and go right to it and find out more cool. so 
Thank you. Right. Thank you. Yeah. And like like uh, Doug said, hey, get get on this uh, hashtag. This is not just a hashtag for the sake of a hashtag. This is really a movement that we're trying to start. Uh, and and as Doug noted at the at the very end, uh, when we're being censored and silenced and and, uh, and our voices are being stifled and suppressed, uh, where, where they go where they go high tech, we go low tech, <laughs> right? So I like it. They're high tech BS. Uh, they can suppress us with, with their algorithms. Guess what? We have email. Uh, so I don't know how many uh, folks you have on your email list. I have uh, two thousand so far. So I send out an email, and then what I'm hoping is that people will replicate that. So just sign up to our email address as well. Uh, and and when you get the emails from us, uh, by the way, if you want to sign up for the email address, uh, we hate to keep plugging this in over here, <laughs> but um, go for just it. Go to um, I don't know, let me let me pull that up real fast. It's not believe this newsletter, but uh, all right. So if you want to sign up, it's uh, all right. Our newsletter it's guionjournal.com uh, backslash our o o u r and then dash newsletter. Right. So guionjournal.com backslash our newsletter uh, our dash newsletter. When you go to that, there's going to be a place where you can subscribe to the mail list. Please sign up to our mailing list as well. And I try to limit it to just one email a day. Um, so sign up for it. And, and when you get the emails, uh, multiply, multiply effects. Just mm-hmm. uh, send it out to your network. And that's how we uh, overcome the, 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 the restrictions of social media. Like I said, the more they try to kill the messenger, the more the, the message amplifies. But that really depends on people like you listening to amplify the message and, and become our, our echo chamber. So thank you again, Doug, for, for having me on. I look forward to coming back on. Maybe I'll come back on again uh, after the 20th. It's kind of discuss what okay. we with this whole initiative. Yeah, sounds like a plan. I mean, uh, I'm in it. I'm excited. I hope this works. When I first started the show, I covered the, the hashtag unrig that uh, Robert David Steele and Cynthia McKinney were working on together, and they were trying to unify people. This was three years ago. Um, So it's always been a real passion of mine. I was so happy to hear that you were doing this and I jumped right on it. And uh, thanks for coming on the show and doing this interview and and let me know how I can help. And I'll definitely have you back on and we'll be doing updates and we'll keep people informed and uh, do what we can to get the message out there. So cool. And thank you for having me out there. Sorry, it's almost five o'clock your time, Doug. So yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Have a good time. Have one for me. Right on. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for checking that one out. I think this is a really, really important conversation. I was really excited when I saw the tweet that Teodros had sent out saying, you know, hashtag Wildcat Strike USA 2021. Let's do it. A worker's strike that is about unification and not division. Uh, the division that I am seeing among my community right now here in uh, Northern California is just through the roof. Uh, a lot of my Republican friends are are actually frightened. I don't think very many of them that I know certainly identify in any way, shape, or form with uh, far-right movements, uh, with anything alt-right. Um, they're pretty much the same kind of Republicans that they were four years ago. I don't necessarily agree with their politics. But nonetheless, uh, I don't like to see them living in a state of fear. And I see uh, the Democrats uh, really kind of 
you know, and I don't want to turn this into a left-right issue. It's so difficult to have this conversation. If you had talked to me in 2004 during the run-up to the Iraq war, I would have been lambasting my Republican friends who were pushing for the war, and I would have been, uh, you know, always on the side of my Democratic friends who at that time were into uh, peace and, <laughs> you know, not participating in the, in the entire... Um, uh, I would say, colonization of the Middle East that was getting heavily pushed at that time. But um, nonetheless, uh, the Democrats seem to, uh, in general, have this idea that Republicans have somehow been radicalized to the far right. And they're actually, in my mind, having a tendency, and I'm not, again, trying to pick on anyone in particular, uh, but they're projecting onto my friends on the right, uh, that there are these racist, fascist, bigots, etc., and it's just turning into this nightmare of miscommunication and complete division, uh, which has been perpetrated by the mainstream media. So, so when I heard that Teodoros was doing this, I wanted to have him straight away on the show. He wants uh, as many people as possible to rise up in a worker strike on Inauguration Day to say, we need to stop the madness, we need to stop the conflict, and we need to start having real political dialogue so that people can understand that what you're seeing on the corporate news and what you're seeing inside your little social media bubble, whether you're on the left or the right, is really not accurate. Um, misinformation is rampant on both sides. People are still people. Americans are still Americans. And we have to ask who benefits from this outrageous division that's been going on over the course of the last four years. And I offer and I think Teodoros agrees, uh, that the very wealthy are benefiting. We've seen the, the, the billionaire class, sometimes I like to call them the predator class, uh, increase their wealth by 30 plus percent over the last 10, 11 months, and I don't think we can say this is by accident. <laughs> uh, and so we have to really be able to sit back and question what we're seeing on the mainstream media, on the, the corporate government narrative that keeps coming out, that keeps pushing these divisions. And we need to start talking with each other and having conversations uh, with each other that break down these boundaries, these this miscommunication that's going on. So um, I hope you're really paying attention to this, and I hope that you'll think about spreading the word. Again, just to keep saying this, hashtag Wildcat Strike USA 2021. Uh, let's see how many people we can get informed about this and how many people we can we can get to jump on board and start having these important conversations. One of the things I want to talk about that has been on my mind is that the left-right paradigm is so pervasive, even in my just two minutes ago talking about Republicans and Democrats, it may have sounded like I'm attacking the Democrats, you know? I don't think this is anybody's fault, and I'm not putting judgment on anybody. I think everybody is getting duped by the, the amount of misinformation that's getting put out there, and I want to offer up that we should all be really aware, cognizant, and understanding that there may be a third party involved here, and that is the intelligence agencies. Um, what I am observing in the United States right now looks very similar to any of the multiple quote-unquote color revolutions that uh, intelligence agencies have been perpetrating on other countries when there is a political leadership that is going against uh, what U.S. and transnational corporations want to see. If these corporations aren't getting their way 
Oftentimes, intelligence agencies will get involved. They promote division. They'll take a real issue, like racism, which is a real issue. I get it. And then they'll push and promote division concerning the racism and promote disinformation and misinformation targeting both sides so that the, the division will become more and more and more powerful until there's a conflict among the people, which provides an opportunity then for these intelligence agencies to uh, promote and help and facilitate a regime change operation that will place someone in power that is more amenable to what uh, the United States and the transnational corporate interests want to see going on in that particular country. We've seen we've seen this in all all over the world. I think it happened in uh, the Ukraine. Uh, I think actually it was happening during the entire Arab Spring. Uh, I think we just saw an attempted uh, situation like this in Belarus and uh, I think uh, that that's what's been going on in Syria. We could go on and on. <laughs> Certainly, um, it's been going on in, in South America as well and all over the world. I think uh, from the statistics that I've seen at least uh, over the last 50 years or so, the United States has been involved in regime change operations in, in over 80 countries around the world. And so my question is, is this starting to happen here? We've seen in 2012, where uh, in the National Defense Authorization Act, there was the removal of the Smith-Munt Act that allows uh, American government-produced propaganda to be passed on to the people here inside the United States. And I think since that time, we have seen a marked increase in uh, this confusion, a lot of disinformation out there, a lot of, a lot of difficulty in, in finding uh, really well-sourced material, a lot of difficulty in uh, being able to really make up your own mind about what's actually going on. Uh, and let's consider the possibilities that things like Antifa and QAnon are both backed by intelligence agencies. I mean, we nobody knows who QAnon really is, <laughs> right? Uh, and if we look into the sources for Antifa and some of these other things, it starts to become pretty, the sources of finance, right? It starts to become pretty suspect. Who's financing all of these movements? Who's financing this division? Who is QAnon really? Uh, so instead of attacking your Democrat friends, I mean, the conversations I've been having about the election, it's so easy to say, oh, the Democrats stole the election. Well, what if it wasn't the Democrats? What if it was the intelligence agencies? What if it was the ownership, the billionaire class that controls uh, these voting machine corporations? Shouldn't we be looking into those guys? Is there a third party that is uh, involving itself here, making it look like it's, oh, it's the Republicans, it's the Democrats creating this divide, intentionally manipulating the political dialogue here in the United States? And I think... Uh, that we've got to really have conversations about this, and we've got to start asking people in Congress to say, hey, I want you to look into what the FBI is really doing. I want you to look into what the CIA or the NSA or these organizations are really doing. I don't even think most of the Congress people, most of the Republicans and Democrats, literally in positions of power, representatives or senators, are even given access to a lot of this classified information, and certainly if the CIA wants to hide something uh, from our elected representatives, it's very, very easy for them to do. So I want to start seeing in the political dialogue more about is there a third party in action here. So if you're identifying on the left, 
if you're identifying on the right, maybe it's neither of a neither fault, neither party is at fault here. Maybe there's a third party that's involved. And so let's uh, let's uh, start to incorporate this as we have conversations. Um, I don't want to make this too long. Uh, I do want to make a quick statement about the corporate media versus independent media. There's been a lot of people who think that these big tech companies are targeting far-right or alt-right sites for the censorship. And that has not been the case in, in my experience. What I'm seeing is a lot of independent journalists like myself and like Teodros who are getting attacked because we're reporting from outside the left-right paradigm, because we're trying to get people to question whether or not there is a third party, whether it's intelligence agencies, whether it's just these uh, you know, very wealthy people, organizations like the World Economic Forum or the Bilderberg Group working behind the scenes to manipulate our sense of perception, our sense of reality, and our sense of, of politics. Uh, these are the people that are getting censored. I saw last week uh, a news source, an information source on YouTube had 375,000 subs getting millions of views, spreading information that was not uh, not sourced about the election and about what the potentially Donald Trump was doing in order to uh, in order to facilitate a potential civil war. Whether the Insurrection Act was was going to be up in, in action, this guy is getting millions of views, and YouTube's not touching him. But Derek Bros, who I interviewed uh, six weeks ago, he's out. Ryan Christian at the Last American Vagabond, he's out. Right? These are people that are reporting from beyond the left-right paradigm. So uh, I'm just going to close here really quickly uh, by saying once again, hashtag WildcatStrikeUSA2021. Uh, and remember, if you want to find out more about that and you want to find out more about uh, Teodros Ficre Merimum's writings, uh, and I urge you to do so, please check it out at www.thegihonjournal.com. That's gihonjournal.com, and I'll uh, put that information in the show notes. Uh, so thanks for listening. Please spread the word. Use the hashtag. And uh, as always, if you want to find out more about my work, you can go to theshiftnow.com, uh, and you can find me on YouTube and Facebook at The Shift with Doug McKenty, uh, or I'm on Twitter at McKenty. So uh, thanks again for checking this out. Uh, spread the word about this movement. I'm going to be working with Tidros on this, uh, hopefully for uh, quite a while to come, because I'd like to see this start to pick up steam. I think it's the only way we're going to make a difference. If not, we're going to be sitting back and we're going to be watching uh, the new normal get created for us. Uh, unless we unify, the new normal is not going to be something that we choose. It's going to be something that they choose for us. Not our elected representatives, um, but these very wealthy people people at the World Economic Forum and these kind of organizations that want to implement a new version of stakeholder capitalism. So uh, if we want to save the democratic process here and we want to work against the corporate corruption that is so rampant, uh, we got to do something. So one more time, hashtag Wildcat Strike USA 2021. And uh, I will see you again very soon. Thanks a lot. <music>